You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to our podcast, Grow Cookie Arrange, with Sarah Raven and Arthur Parkinson. We met, I would say, partly through our real passion and need for intense colour. Both Arthur and I are drawn to saturation. And from when I was really young as a child, I I just completely, literally had a sort of physical reaction to strong colour. Not pastels, not white really, but to strong saturated, sometimes even rainbow colour. And I'd be walking down a street in a shopping centre or something and I would see an art shop and there would be a beautiful stack of crayons, either oil pastels or just normal leaded crayons. And I would just, it would be, it would be like a sort of bee to a foxglove. I just had to go and stand in front of that window until eventually my parents gave me a really very beautiful set of crayons, which I still have actually, which is in a funny sort of brown paper, three sets of drawers. And my children used it and I hope my grandchildren will use it. But anyway, that is how Arthur and I, I I really honestly, I think, came to know each other, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Bold and Brilliant Garden book remains something I look at every week, Sarah, because it's just, it's just colour and vitality of life. And it's, it's a shame that quite often modern humanity, whether it's the classroom or, you know, public spaces, we often shy away from nature's provision of all this gorgeous colour. And, you know, I, it's, it's funny, isn't it? You can be on the tube and, and you're just looking at what everyone's got on and we're all very, not dowdy, but, you know, we like grey, we like black, we like white, browns, but you don't often see, you know, everyone dressed in coral or orange. And mm. I just think, for me, I was always attracted to nature's colours, whether it be exotic birds or rock pool anemones, starfish, you know, giraffes, African savannas. And I remember being taken to church by my grandma Sheila quite often and, I'd find the whole church thing very um, human, but I, I'd be completely hypnotised by stained glass windows. Mm. You know, the, the Venetian colours and the sun shining through. And I think when you're little, you really, you love that escapism that things like that provide through colour. And so for me, the garden to sing, it has to be always those colours. But I mean, through through you, especially lately, I have I've warmed to different colours and we in what we do embrace all colours now really don't don't we yeah I mean I, I've been um, <laughs> working on a colour book now for about five years and I never seem to quite land it because it evolves of course but mm. I do think that I have found it really helpful in the garden here which I, I'm incredibly lucky I'm incredibly privileged I live on a farm I have quite a lot of space and what I've done is I have themed each garden around a family of colours or a palette of colours. And over the years, I've sort of honed that so that it's just so easy to work with. And it's really pleasing to be in, whether it's a sort of a quite a stirring, exhilarating family of colours, which I call the boiled sweet, which are your stained glass. So it's sort of 
orange, red, purple, deep pink. So that's a quite stimulated one. And the Oast Garden here is based on that color palette. Or it's dark and rich. And so it's sort of the crimsons, the deep velvet purples, uh, the brandy snap browns and mahogany browns and stuff. And that we concentrate in our brick Dutch yard here. And again, it's a very enveloping, comforting place to be. Or on the south face of the farmhouse, we have what I call the the soft and cool palette, which are the mauves and pinks, which are mixed with white. So the first two that I mentioned, the boiled sweets and the dark and rich, have no white or very, very minimal. Maybe just like if you're a painter, you would you mix in percentages quite often and they would have less than 5% white probably. Whereas in the farmhouse garden with the mauves and the pinks, they have got maybe, you know, literally like 95% white or 90% white and just a dab of pink, a dab of purple, or also primrose, a dab of yellow in them. And they're cool, but they're mm. also quite pastel. And then the final one that I, I really love increasingly that I used to hate is what I call the soft and warm. And those are, again, based on white, but with the browns and the oranges and the sort of warm colors mixed into them. So that gives you cafe au lait, like milky coffee color, apricot, so the warmer yellows, and of course, sort of peach, basically. And oh, I used to hate them, but now I love them. <laughs> but I love them because I, I mix them carefully. I keep them separate carefully mm. because I find one tends to jar with the other. But what do you think? I mean, I know you tend to go for the first two, don't you, the the rich yeah, ones? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't know how I've fallen into this trap of being so rigid. And I'm finding lately people, you know, when I'm at dinner and we're talking, I come across as very straight jacket and a bit defensive because I'm so loyal to these colours that that we love so much. And yeah. I think the, the not an annoyance, but the, the issue with Instagram is you're constantly being shown what other people are doing. And I'm seeing increasingly people are much more relaxed lately about colour. Particularly yeah. this this spring I've seen people's arrangements of tulips. They look like circus clowns to me. And I I, I just don't like that white and the the yeah. brush red and then there might be a dark purple tulip chucked in and a yellow and and they're all just shoved in a vase together. And and in a way, I kind of envy that freedom that, that a lot of people that are quite new to gardening seem to be just embracing and, and treating their garden like it's a complete riot and, you know, anything goes. And But for me, I, I am a straight jacket, <laughs> colour palette person. So um, this year I'm I'm managing Mill Yard, which is the flower yard. And that's will always be the stained glass colours. All the dahlias of of taking a, a break in my grandma Sheila's garden there in the ground. So this year, it's a completely different annual palette, but it's still that going to be very orange and scarlet. Mm. Whereas the garden I've got in Oxford, which is my new garden, that will be quite white. But with both these gardens, the key thing that I'll always say, regardless, is is foliage as the sort of mixer, and actually. Coming to Perch Hill in late April, it was a time because of the weather that the real colour was coming from the hedges that you've got. Mm. So the lime green of the hawthorn and all the foliage of the various bulbs and perennials all coming up. And it was a day where the sky was very grey and it had been raining for days, but it really felt like you'd 
fallen into a, a rainforest, really. Mm. So I'd say to anybody, regardless of palette, look at foliage first. So this year I'm growing Panicum Sparkling Fountain, Hibiscus Mahogany, which is like a beautiful Acer. Love it. I'm actually going to grow that in decent-sized terracotta pots, and I think I'll just end up bringing them in the house in the autumn because mm. it's like you grow this like miniature Acer tree mm. um, in, in a dark season. dark crimson. Mm. Yeah. So And also Euphorbia oblongata, I'm growing that. And a few other annual foliages, but they're like your mixers, I'd say, regardless of what colours you're going to, that connect all the garden together, like the, the base of a watercolour painting. Yeah. So if you imagine like you're doing, when you're planning your planting, imagine you're doing a Monet water lily pond. Think about the water first before you add the colours. Yeah. And I, I think that's very helpful. But what I love about Perchill is the hedges that you've planted and also the hard landscaping. So whether it's the red brick of the Dutch yard or the beautiful flagstone in the the rose and herb garden or even just the, the type of gravel you use in the oast mm. it gives the base doesn't it that the, the color palettes then ping off yeah w- would you agree yeah no i would totally agree and um i think it's very easy to think that the foliage can work with everything and what i i think i've really learned by thinking again and again and looking at photographs of the garden and of combinations is that mm. not all foliage works with all palettes. And so, like, I've always been a massive, as of you until recently, a massive fan of Euphorbia Green, that that really sharp acid green. But I actually find now I don't like it with the soft and warm palette at all. No. I find, I think of the soft and warm palette as cashmere jerseys. They're the sort of, mm. they're really incredibly easy on the eye, incredibly easy to work with, incredibly sort of gentle and comforting and really genuinely quite easy to put lovely combinations together. But what I find is crimson foliage like atroplex or as you say, hibiscus mahogany works very well with that. But actually mm. the acid green is is just like white with the stained glass. It just jolts you. Ooh, yeah. I just feel like, oh no, that's not right. <laughs> so even though foliage, you know, it's just green is green is green. Of course it isn't. And I find that silver foliage is beautiful with the soft and cool palettes. So those blues and mauves and and soft primrose yellows, that uh, silver is fantastic with them. Whereas again, a very sharp acid green just feels all wrong. It just it it, it doesn't it doesn't harmonise somehow. Yeah. But I love it to bring brightness to the boiled sweets or the stained glasses. And of course, it's almost essential with the dark and rich because they can become a little bit somber if you just have dark crimson, like a tulip, like Jan Roos next to Ronaldo, next to Queen of Night. You need Mm. something to lift it, don't you? A zest, yeah. Yeah, Squeeze a lemon, as you'd say, on your smoked salmon. I remember you saying that. I think that's one of the first things I heard you ever say on a talk. Yeah. And that's such a good thing to remember. But I don't know whether it's because of lockdown and we're all wanting more invigoration through colour. I'm noticing suddenly there's a whole wealth of colour books. Last week I bought a wonderful book called Nature's Palette, which gives all these wonderful names for each section of colour. And it Mm. goes back to all these beautiful botanical drawings of birds and wildlife and flowers and even stones and eggs. And I saw on Mm. your desk you'd got another book called The Secret Life of Colour, which it again, goes through the palette. So um, I've added both those books to like my essential bedtime reading pile. Because mm. I think sometimes you can get tired, can't you, of of trying to rely on just the mind to create new 
combinations of colour. Yes. And I think me and you are always very good at having a stock, haven't we, of of things we're looking at. We're constantly tearing photos out of magazines and, and not even necessarily plant-related things. It can be fashion or it can be architecture, can't it, or travel. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And yeah, paint. Even sweet wrappers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Quite often we, we talk about, you know, it might even be a bottle of wine, mightn't it, on the dinner table that we refer back to and we go, oh, yeah, that's like su- such and such. And I think that's important to give vitality. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about white because obviously yeah. people, I mean, last night I was a, had a wonderful walk through the white garden at Sissinghurst mm. and it is exquisite because, of course, it's not just white. And so, you know, some of them are really bright, bright, rather cold white, yeah. some plants. But then a lot of the plants like something like ami or agrostema, the white corncockle, which is more ivory. And, of course, the pollen and the anthers in the middle of the flower have a big effect on the overall look of that color even if the petal is Mm. bright white if there's a sort of dusting of of anthers over it it will really affect the overall effect it is the thing that makes that garden every time i'm there i'm just struck by it is of course exactly as you say the very careful marrying of the white with for instance the slightly gray green foliage of quince trees um, which were just looking particularly beautiful last night or thalictrum stems, that sort of slightly mauvey grey of thalictrum stems, or something actually in the dark corner, um, Smyrnium perfoliatum, which is acid green. And so it's mm. it's actually, again, it's, it's a palette, it's not a colour. And I suppose that's what I've ended up thinking is, you know, when we were always at school, it was like one of the standard questions in your French oral exam is, what is your f- favourite colour? And it's just mm. like... Don't think about that. It's that is very primary school. It's like you shouldn't have a favorite color. You should have a favorite family of colors. And I actually really don't like white, but you know, I feel completely moved by the beauty mm. of the white garden because it is with silver and sort of dusky silvery purple and a sort of limey green and then a dark green and a, you know, and it's it's the play of those different things. None of them jar but they are Mm. all highlighting and contrasting to the white. And I I find that's exactly the same with what I used to think of as my favorite color, which is purple. But, you know, actually it with orange is just so much better. And I think of that as the, the squeeze of lemon on the smoked salmon or I think of it now like the gate crasher at a party. And, I mean, I have talked about this in an episode before, so I, I don't want to bang on, but... When I'm making a bunch of flowers, I tend to pick the thing that is really knockout gorgeous in the garden that morning. And then I'll pick, which I call my bride, and then I'll pick something that is smaller, but almost identical, if not literally identical in color, but a little less glamorous to back up the bride. And that's the bridesmaid. And always, 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 I want the naughty factor. And that's the gate crasher at the wedding party. And that's a color contrast. And I only want a sprinkling of that. It's not an equal pegging. The bride is dominant, the bridesmaid next, and then just a sprinkling of that gatecrasher naughtiness. And it's that, the orange with the purple that is so beautiful, or the orange with the cobalt blue, or the crimson with the apricot or peach. You know, it's that that really makes the family work. 
Mm. So why? I mean, it, it's real interesting. I know every time we do a spring photo shoot before tulips, we'll often pick the most gorgeous bunch of narcissi, won't we? And it might be pheasant tie. And actually this year we had beautiful different varieties, some double that smelt beautiful and and you know, some were almost flecked with lime green with just a hint of yellow. At Sissinghurst, are there are there any flowers in the white garden that have a yellow centre or of those band, like say an oxide daisy has got a white yes. petal, no, but then are. it's got a yellow centre. So yellow's allowed a little bit, is it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um you know that amazing it's called Romnia culturae, which is um a big white poppy with really yellow anthers in the middle. There's certainly quite yeah. a bit of that, and that works perfectly because, of course, it's it's surrounded by very harmonious colours, and so it's it's completely fine. I think yellow, as with green, works works well with white, actually. Yeah. I'm less sure about too much blue with white myself. Yeah, because then it quickly dilutes, doesn't it, into a, a different palette, really, doesn't it? Yeah. A bit of white. It yeah. just, I mean, that is a sort of, I remember when I started out doing medicine and started doing sort of flowers and gardening and stuff, I remember mm. um, I was often asked for bridal flowers to have a scattering of something like blue larkspur through it because it makes the white look whiter. And actually yeah. it kind of does, but it, I, I, yeah, that, isn't a, that mm. isn't a combination I like. And I'm very sorry to say I find the red, white, and blue of our flag, a, yeah. a very, very difficult colour combination yeah. to work with in the garden. <laughs> it's um, mm. it's so about contrast and there's not enough resting. You've, you know, there's not enough for the eye to sort of rest on. It's all about sort of zigzag contrast. So I don't personally find that a lovely or beautiful combination. But not many flags are, are they, actually, oddly? No, again, I think it's sometimes the colours that, we humans put together quite often the opposite of of what nature would put together you there's no yeah. animal is there that's white red and blue no <laughs> but there there are animals that are you know green yellow merging into a nice turquoise you know think of lizards in marrakesh and yeah i do find animals very helpful they're not sometimes they don't get it right so for example like a king eider duck which is black white orange green and red yeah. i don't think i'll ever plant a, a garden border with those colors but then if you look at say a mandarin duck which is mm. chestnut brown orange ochre mm. a bit of royal blue and scarlet and deep buttercup mustard yellow i think you know some animals are very helpful yeah that's such a good idea to use it as your reference yeah and i think for you quite often sarah you you love wildflower meadows, don't you? And yeah. very often I'll go to Perchland and I'll think, this is just like wildflower meadow on steroids, whether it's a dahlia bed or, you know, an herbaceous border that's been put together or even a, a summer container. I think giving the freedom for plants just to roll into each other, mm. that helps, doesn't it? And mm. increasingly, I think we use, going back to your soft and warm palette, like a bunny tail grass would work well with that, wouldn't it? Yeah, because really it's, well. It's texture as well, Absolutely. I think, that we, we often neglect, isn't it? So yeah. like, a, what's that vanilla petunia, which you grew last year, which was so, I think you called it the um, Millionaire's Collection or something. Oh, yes. It was so soft and velvet. It was just the most, it was literally like a spoonful of vanilla ice cream in a, in a petunia form with that plush velvet. Yeah, beautiful, a tidal wave red velour one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for the stained glass palette. 
I think textures, texture helps a lot, doesn't it, with, with colour. But if you were to give one take-home colour combination, Arthur, which is your current obsession, what would be yours? Well, I'll literally tell you what I'm growing at Mill Yard in the, in the dolly tubs this year. So I'm doing two new orange Cosmos, which annual, like all the other Cosmos, I can't think of the bloody names off the top of my head. Cosmos Sulfurious. Yeah, they're both yeah. of that, that yeah. family. Tango. Yeah, uh, which I saw in the Daily Beds. And they're lovely plush oranges, tangerines. And to complement them, I'm doing Rebenza, which I've mm. grown for years, my favourite Cosmos for mm. a pot. So they're together. Beautiful. And they're kind of like the, the sources of the, the dolly tubs. But then as the as the filler and also the spiller, I've got Petunia Red Velour. Fabulous. Which is basically a, a marriage of, of Rebenza with a yeah. different deep scarlet claret and then i'm going into foliage so a bit of euphorbia rongata i've not actually grown that at home i've seen it at perchill a lot mm. but i just felt it these zingy traffic light colors needed a bit more zing yeah and then for softness i've got panicum sparkling fountain and for another foliage i've got the hibiscus mahogany splendor which is going to give a lovely hopefully a, a dominant feel of foliage and more upright than the other two. The other two foliages I've mentioned will, because I'm going to be picking and pinching them out, yeah. become quite fillery and blousy. And also nasturtiums, all the you know velvet cream and um, yeah. Alaska nasturtiums. So that's kind of like my base. You know, very very Tropicana colours. So orange, crimson, carmine, orange, crimson, mahogany. Yeah. Yeah. So I think mine, just before we move on to some food, is probably a really simple combination right now in the garden that I saw this morning, which is that beautiful rose, that China rose, which is called Mutabilis, which is comes out a kind of rather lovely kind of apricot and then deepens to a slightly sort of crimson pink. And it's surrounded completely with that very, very soft pink apricot, Digitalis Sutton's apricot. And the coppery foliage of the rose combined with its saucer flowers and then these spikes. So it's very much in the soft and warm palette. But I found that completely sort of transfixing and wanted to just stand and watch the endless bees on it, which of course they were because both are so good for pollinators. And then because it's coming up to globe artichoke time, we had our first lot for supper last night. I thought I would just finish with a recipe, which is a real Raven family, long-standing favorite. I first had this when I was literally a toddler in Italy and it's whole globe artichokes, which you're rarely served. Actually, you tend to be just be served the heart or perhaps the heart and a few of the bud scales. But this is literally a whole globe artichoke, which is boiled for 40 minutes, depending on size, in salted water. And you can acidulate the water, which in theory stops them going sort of slightly brown green. But I find that isn't very effective, actually. But I don't mind the colour. And you know when they're cooked, because you get a perforated spoon and just lift one out of the boiling water and just tug on the outer leaf scale and if it comes off really easily in your fingers then they're cooked and you take them out and you drain them upside down in a sink so that all the water comes out and by the way if you 
find that you've got lots of earwigs or bugs, soak them before you boil them in very strongly salted water in a bowl for a couple of hours and that will kill any insect life in them. And then what I do is I serve them with what we call in our family angelica sauce and that implies it's made with the herb angelica. It isn't. It was taught us by a cook in a house that we used to go to when we were small called Asilo in the Veneto just an hour from Venice and the cook there was called Angelica and it was her sauce and it's basically anchovies and red wine vinegar, very good olive oil, tons and tons of parsley. So two thirds of the bunch of herbs is parsley and then a few chives, perhaps a bit of lovage, perhaps some tarragon. So it doesn't really matter what the other green herbs are, but the main bulk is flat leaf parsley and slightly oddly, because that is just a salsa verde mix, of course, and you've got to put capers in there, which I forgot to mention. But the odd thing is hard-boiled egg. Now, I'm not a hard-boiled egg fan, but I promise you, if you just blitz it momentarily, or even better, chop it coarsely with a big mezzaluna or a sharp knife, and the olive oil and the red wine vinegar give you the liquid, it is absolutely delicious. And you dip your frond into the sauce, and it's enough for a meal, because of course the hard-boiled egg is full of protein, So it's a really lovely garden summer meal. It can't be beaten. And I'm so looking forward to having a few weeks of eating my globe artichokes like that. Thank you, everyone, for listening to our talk about colour. And next time we're going to be talking about mine and Sarah's favourite stalwart summer perennials. So join us then for more talk about gardening and colour and all things beautiful. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com.